Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. When you fulfill a positive mitzvah, you're really fulfilling one mitzvah, a single mitzvah, which is the mitzvah in the belief in the unity of God. And every sin is an expression of the 365 don'ts, as if you're committing idolatry. What's the connection? Because what is the mitzvah of the unity of God, the belief in the unity of God? Ultimately, it's not only to believe that there's one God, but to believe that there's no other reality but God. God is the only reality. There's not, nothing else but God. As the Torah repeats many times, Ein oed milvade, there's nothing besides God. And therefore, when a person implements God's will, when every, with every organ in your body, you have 248 organs, you fulfill another mitzvah. So when you become an implement to God's will, a tool for God's will, then you become connected with God. Like the axe in the hands of the builder, or a chariot in the hands of the rider. So it becomes completely subservient to the rider, and it becomes an expression of the rider. So when we become a tool to God's will, to God's, God's wish that we should do a certain thing, and then we use our hands and use our legs and use every organ in our body. We run to do the mitzvah, and we go ahead and we do the mitzvah. Thereby, we become a tool, an implement, an expression of God. So every organ in our body becomes an expression of God. And even on a deeper level, the mitzvah itself becomes, is like an organ to God. Just like the connection between the organ of the body and the soul. The body is not just a tool of the soul, an implement of the soul. The body and the soul become inseparable. The body is alive. While the soul is within the body, they become inseparable. Every cell of the body is alive, becomes alive, becomes so connected that the body and the soul become com- completely unified. So much so, the moment you decide to move your hand, your hand lifts up automatically. It's not like a machine, electricity that forces a machine to, to, to move. It's not the soul, it's not electricity, and the body is a machine. The body and the soul become one. Inseparable. So much so, the body becomes feeling. The body becomes alive. And the body affects the soul. The soul affects the body. The object with which you do the mitzvah and the soul power that motivates you, that pushes you to do the mitzvah, they become like the organ of God. So you, in, by doing the mitzvah, when you fulfill any mitzvah, you're really fulfilling one mitzvah, a single mitzvah. You're fulfilling the mitzvah of unifying God. You become an, a tool in the hands of God and your soul become, becomes God's organ. And the object of the mitzvah becomes a sacred object, a holy object, like a Torah scroll. The Torah itself becomes a holy object. The leather hide of the animal is transformed through the mitzvah and it becomes a sacred, a holy object. Because this physical object has now become the organ to God. God wished and willed and desired us to do something. And we go ahead and we take the physical object and we do the mitzvah with it. So the mitzvah becomes sacred. The soul that's pushing you to do the mitzvah also becomes the organ to God and the actual hands and legs and organs that actually do the mitzvah become like a chariot, a tool, an implement of God's will. And the mitzvah affects every aspect of our life. So our whole being becomes dedicated and connected with God and unified with God. So by fulfilling all the mitzvahs, we're really fulfilling a single mitzvah, the mitzvah of the unity of God. Which is why of all the 613 mitzvahs, 
of all the Ten Commandments were only two commandments that we heard from God Himself. The first one is, I am God who took you out of Egypt, the mitzvah to believe in God, to unify God. Why is this the only positive commandment we heard from God? Because this is the theme of all the commandments. By fulfilling a mitzvah, you become one with God. And every part of your life becomes a reflection of that truth, of the reality of God, that there is nothing else but God. And therefore, my entire being, why am I here? My entire being is really a reflection of of God's will, a reflection of, of God. And this is the innermost desire and wish. Why did God create the whole universe? What's it all about? His innermost wish and desire is for us to do the Torah and the mitzvah. So when your being becomes a tool, an implement of God's will, you become completely unified with God's innermost will and desire, wish and desire, and goal and theme and purpose. So you become completely one and connected with God. So in addition to fulfilling that particular mitzvah, you have to realize when you do a mitzvah, you're becoming one with God and you become a living expression of the, of the unity of God. Because you're demonstrating that there is no other reality but God. And therefore you are completely one with God. What is the other mitzvah we heard directly from God Himself? The second of the Ten, of the ten Commandments. Thou shalt not commit idolatry. Not to worship idols. Why is this the only prohibition we heard from God? Because again, this is the theme of all 365 don'ts, negatives, prohibitions. Because when we do a sin, when we transgress God's willpower, that is the worst form of idolatry. In a sense, it's even worse than the, than the idol itself. Because the idol itself doesn't necessarily proclaim that there is no God. The idol proclaims that God is the God of all gods. But I'm also a God. God is the supreme and the almighty and the, uh, the, uh, the uh, omniscient and omnipotent. But I am also a God. I'm a miniature God. God is the great God and I'm a miniature God. They don't deny the existence or the reality or even the power of God. They know that nothing happens in this world without, without God. You don't lift a pinky without God. How much more so when we disobey God, when we actually transgress His wish, when He asked us explicitly and clearly in the Torah, He revealed to us His will, and He says, I wish, don't do this. And we go ahead and disobey God. In a certain sense, that's the worst form of idolatry. It's almost like a total denial of God. Not only are we denying that there is no other reality but God, and we consider ourselves as an independent being, but more so, we deny that, that God is the omnipotent and the omniscient and God is the all-powerful because God says, and I, <laughs> yeah, He wants, and I will go ahead and, and do as I please anyway. We deny that God is even, even, even the, the ultimate power and force, and life force in the universe. You don't lift a pinky without the soul. Nothing happens without the soul. Nothing happens in life without God. God is the soul of the world. So just like the example of the human body, the soul is in total charge and control of the body. So how much more so that God is in total charge and control of the world? Could you imagine a body disobeying its soul? 
the mind tells you, brain tells you walk, and the body argues, no, I don't want to walk. There's something wrong. A healthy body doesn't even sense itself. It's completely unselfconscious. A healthy person, that's a sign of health. A person's unselfconscious. You don't even feel yourself. A body is very light. A healthy, living person is very light. So when the person feels himself and senses himself, that's the first sign of illness. But when the body disobeys, <laughs> has a mind of its own, an opinion of its own, and says, well, you want this, and I, I disagree. I think I want something else. That's, that's a total collapse. So it's, it's when a person senses himself, that's idolatry. But a worse form of idolatry is when you actually disobey God. Even Bilaam, the vicious, evil Bilaam, said, I can't disobey God. Every time we transgress a sin, a prohibition, whether, whether it's biblical or rabbinic, it makes no difference. When we deny the will of God, it is the worst form of idolatry. Really, we're transgressing one single sin. The sin of idolatry. And the worst form of idolatry. And it doesn't matter if it's a major prohibition or if it's a minor prohibition. What difference does it make? The bottom line is, this is what God wants. So if there's no other reality but God, my whole being is from God, my whole existence is from God, my whole, my whole life and vitality, everything I have is from God. There's nothing other than God. How can I turn around and deny God? And cold-bloodedly just his, ignore His wish. And His wish means nothing to me. God wants so and... Every letter in the Torah, every word in the Torah, every mitzvah in the Torah, whether it's biblical, rabbinic, major, minor, makes no difference. This is the will of Hashem. This is the will of God. It's unbudgeable. It's unmovable. This is, this is reality. There is no other reality. The whole purpose of creation, the whole existence, the whole reality of creation is only as, a, as an implement to God's will. There is nothing else. It's the only reason why God created the whole universe. There is nothing else. That's the driving force. That's the theme. That's the purpose. That's the goal. God creates us every single moment. So we have no other existence other than God. So our whole being is godly. So for us to be self-conscious, to be egotistical, that's already idolatry. It's one thing to be egotistical, but to obey. To obey what Hashem wants. Like Bilam. But at least Bilaam acknowledged that nothing happens without God. You want to be successful in your own personal life. You want to be successful in your own private life. Nothing happens without God. You don't lift a pinky without the soul. You have to find time to pray. You have to find time to give tzedakah, to, act, to, to give back in life, not just take, not to be a taker in life, but to be a giver in life. To give, to give back, not just to take. Just like God gives, we also have to give. You have to find time to study Torah. You have to find time and the energy to pray. And then God will shower you and bless you with success. But that's also a form, that's a form of idolatry. Because you have your own agenda, you have your own life, but you're just appeasing God. You know where the power lies, and therefore you have to give to God what He wants in order for you to get what you want. But at least you're not disobeying God. Ideally, your whole agenda is God. And the materialism is just a means to an end. It enables you to do what you really want to do, which is study Torah and do mitzvah. That's the way a Jew worships God. That's the way a Jew expresses and fulfills the mitzvah of unifying God. By 
fulfilling all 613 mitzvahs. But when a Jew actually violates a prohibition in the Torah, a negative prohibition, any of the 365 dots, biblical prohibitions or the rabbinic prohibitions, it's worse than, than the idol itself. Because the idol doesn't dare to disobey God. And here we go ahead and we're disobeying God's express wish and desire. The body is fighting with the soul and, and arguing and fighting back and doing the opposite of what the soul wants them to do. That's a very unhealthy situation. So that's why that's the only prohibition we heard directly from God. Because all 365 prohibitions are actually a fulfillment of one single prohibition. Thou shalt not worship idols. Every time we violate a prohibition, it's the, it's an, it's the form of idolatry and the worst form of idolatry. And it doesn't matter if it's major or minor. What difference does it make? Once I know that this is God's will, what difference does it make if it's major or minor? The difference is between mitzvot, whether it's a major mitzvah or it's a minor mitzvah, whether it's a biblical mitzvah or it's a rabbinic mitzvah. These differences are just details, technicalities, the mechanics. But the, the inner, the soul, this is the will of God. Once I know that this is the will of God, and God doesn't want me to do so-and-so, He wants me to do so-and-so, what difference does it make? If I violated the will of God, what difference does it make in what form the will of God is revealed? Whether it's revealed in a biblical form, whether it's revealed in a rabbinic form, or even if it's a Jewish custom, it's been accepted by the Jewish people this is the will of God, then I want to be connected. I don't want to be disconnected. And every time we violate a prohibition, we trespass, and we transgress, and we've crossed the border. We're disconnected. I don't want to be disconnected. That's idolatry. To be connected, that's, that's life. That gives us life. When you're connected, when you're healthy, when you're spiritually healthy, the less self-absorbed you are, the less egotistical you are, the more you're God-conscious instead of ego-conscious. And the more your life, your theme of your life, is connected with godliness, the healthier you are, the more connected you are. The more egotistical you are, and the more arrogant you are, and the more self-absorbed you are, and the more you have your own agendas, outside and separate and apart from God, the more disconnected we are. How much more so when we actually violate God's will? We actually rebel and go against God's will? It's the worst form of idolatry. And that's what, yeah. But it's, um, it's almost human, yeah, it's just human nature to um, think that thou shalt not kill is a more important mitzvah than not wearing linen and wool together. I mean, who wears it then? All right, so. Yes. <laughs> okay, so, you know, but yes. Killing, killing, stealing, robbing, you know. And that's why, that's why the, he quotes the Talmud. The Talmud says, the, the verse uses the expression, which means a woman turns off the righteous path and she goes ahead and commits adultery. But the, the, the expression in the Torah is, which comes from the word the Talmud says, shtus means it's insanity. And this distinction is also insane. Because if you think about it, if you truly think about it, it's an insane distinction. What difference is it? It's like, it's like saying the body is going to listen to the soul only when it comes to a major thing. But when it comes to a minor thing, I want to move my pinky, no, the pinky is going to fight back. I don't want to move the pinky. What difference does it make? Either you're healthy, you're alive, you're connected, or you're not. It, it, it's not a detail, it's not an aspect. It doesn't matter, major or minor. If you understand the core, the essence of what life is all about, whether we're conscious of it or not, the reality is 
the reality is that God is in total charge and, and in, is in total control. The reality is that there is no other reality but God. Our whole being, the very fiber of our being is nothing other than godliness because it's the divine energy that's constantly creating us as we speak at this very moment. It's the divine energy that's constantly recreating the entire universe, recreating us, recreating the table. So our very substance is nothing other than godliness. So to make that distinction, that alone... It's really an act of insanity. We plead insanity. <laughs> That's our defense. That's what you're saying. Yes, we plead insanity. When was the last time a person told you, my heart is healthy? It's all that matters. My feet are falling apart. My hands are falling apart. My whole body is <laughs> disintegrating. My heart is healthy. That's, it's insanity. If you think about it for three and a half seconds, it's insane. A person doesn't compromise on a toenail. You want every part of your body to be completely vibrant and healthy. What difference does it make if it's a toenail, or if it's a brain, or if it's a heart, or if it's a liver, or it's a kidney? We don't compromise one iota. So it, it's insanity. These distinctions, well, it's only a pinky. Why do I have to keep 100% of the mitzvah? I can cut a finger here. I'll cut an arm off here. It's not a vital organ. You can live without an arm. I, uh, but it's insanity. Who makes this whole distinction is pure insanity. And the other hand, the Talmud says that even a person who's addicted and is about to commit adultery. You can imagine this is not a very strong person. It's not a very mature person. And it's not a very responsible person. It's a person who couldn't care less, who thinks they're worthless, their body is worthless, their life is worthless, their marriage is worthless, everything is worthless, and they're ready to throw it out in a second for a moment's pleasure, seeming pleasure. And nevertheless, the Talmud says, were this person to be clear, have clarity of mind, if they were to realize that this is the equivalent of idolatry, just like he's ready to give up his life, make the ultimate sacrifice, rather than worship idols, how much easier it is to make the minor sacrifice, not to die for God, but to refrain from indulging in your, in your weakness. If you're ready to give up your life, not to worship idols, you should be ready to give up your life, not to violate the smallest, the tiniest, Seemingly the most insignificant uh, prohibition. Because it's against the will of God. The point is, am I connected or am I not connected? Is the body alive or the body isn't alive? Is the body healthy or the body isn't healthy? It doesn't matter if it's a major organ or if, or, or if it's your toenail. So the distinction itself is a symptom of the insanity. To make any distinction, that alone is a sign of how disconnected we are and how insane it is that we make all these rationalizations and justifications in our mind that if you think about it, it really, it really makes no sense. Okay, I think that uh, we left off last time in the middle of this thought, in the middle of page 318. In truth, however, In truth, however, even he who commits a minor sin transgresses the divine will. And he is completely sundered from God's unity and oneness even more than the Sitra Achra and Kelipa, which are called strange gods and idolatry. Since Kelipa does not violate God's will, whereas he does, and more than all things of this world that are derived from them, namely the unclean cattle, beasts, and birds, and the vermin and reptiles, which all receive their life force from the three completely unclean Kelipot. The person who transgresses even a minor sin, then, is worse and lower than the Kelipot and all that derives from them. So even the non-kosher animals, which uh, display predatory 
characteristics, which is the antithesis of holiness, of godliness. And therefore the Torah says they're prohibited, you're not allowed to eat from them. Because the divine spark is so tra- it's trapped, it's basically so concealed in them, they cannot be redeemed or released or elevated. But even these animals, these wild animals, these vildechayas, non-kosher predatory animals, are more refined than a person who sins. Continue. As our sages have said, when a man sins, he is told, the gnat preceded you. The simple meaning of this statement is, you have no cause for pride. Even the lowly gnat was created before you. But the deeper spiritual meaning is that the gnat takes precedence over the sinner in rank. So the Talmud asks, why was man created last? Man is the crown of creation. Man should have been created first. Why is man last thing created? Friday afternoon. And the Talmud says that if a person acts appropriately, then we say the whole world was created for man. So when man was created, it's like the table is set. Everything is ready. Everything is prepared. And man enters like the king enters last. Everything is prepared. He enters the room. Everything is ready. So if man lives up to his potential, man is created the image of God. If you exercise and reveal that potential, you choose properly, wisely, then the whole world is at your fingertips. And you, you're the king. And, and the whole world is, is, is all prepared for you. But if a person doesn't live up to his potential as Adam, meaning a reflection from above, instead he lives up to Adam, meaning earth, he acts in a very coarse in a very earthy, grubby, selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed way, then you say that the reason you created last is because even a Yiddish, even, even a mosquito, was created before you. So why are you so haughty and arrogant? So he's explaining here, it means not only that man is created last sequentially, it means that they're all greater than man, they're all superior to man. That even a mosquito, which is not a kosher fly. And it's the worst of all of God's creatures. Why is it the worst of all of God's creatures? Because it's the only creature in the world that gives nothing back. Gives nothing back. It sucks blood and gives nothing back. It doesn't even excrete. At least other animals, they eat, but they give something back. You can fertilize, you can use it as, as, as fertilizers. God gives. He creates. How do you express godliness? How do we reflect God? When we also give. Imagine a taker. A person who just takes. He just uses other people and just takes. Doesn't give anything back. The the mosquito is a creature that only takes. Doesn't give anything back to God's world. It takes life. It takes existence. It takes everything it needs. It doesn't even give back. It doesn't even excrete. It gives nothing back. That's the most miserable creature in God's kingdom. A creature who's who's the opposite, the antithesis of holiness. The exact 180 degree opposite of holiness. Holiness is giving. Kindness, giving, sharing. What's the opposite of holiness? Stinginess, holding back, not, not giving, taking, 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 using, abusing, and not giving back anything. Are we allowed to kill a mosquito? Well, if it's, if it's stinging you, if it's bothering you. <laughs> I mean, is that, is that okay? If it's, if it's stinging you, if it's bothering you. There were great Kabbalists who were very, Darizal was very careful. He never took any life, even, 
even if the cockroaches or rodents seems very careful about it. But if it's bothering you immensely, and um, <laughs> then then, uh, then it's okay. But the but here the Torah says a person who doesn't live up to his potential, on the contrary. <coughs> He lives an earthy life, and then we tell him that even the mosquito precedes you, is more connected to God than you are. Not only they precede you in time, but they also precede you in, in level. They're on a higher level than you. How could a person be on a lower level, on a worse level, than even, even a mosquito? As the Alter Rebbe goes on to explain, this means that even the gnat, which as the Talmud states, consumes food but does not excrete, which is the very lowest form of kelipah, and is far removed from holiness, which characteristically gives of itself even to those far from it. Kedusha, holiness, gives even to someone who doesn't even deserve to receive. Like Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu opened up his tent on all four sides, and he allowed even the lowest of the low. He graciously welcomed them to his tent and fed them and taught them. So the nature of holiness is when you recognize that just like God gives us gratuitously, God doesn't know us a thing, and we sh- certainly we know we don't deserve, and yet God gives us, whether we deserve or we don't deserve. We had a good day, we didn't have a good day, morally, ethically, and spiritually. Yet the sun shines every day, and God gives us, and it ref- refreshes us. We wake up in the morning refreshed. Our gives us back our soul refreshed, whether we are worthy or not worthy. So God is so good and kind to us, even if we're not worthy, and He doesn't owe us anything. So we, in turn, have to emulate God. We have to become godly and give to others, even those who are very far and very distant, and be kind and compassionate and considerate. That's the nature of holiness. Versus the mosquito gives nothing, not even to those who are close. <laughs> there are people so stingy, they don't even help those who are, not even, they don't help people who are far away from them, they don't even help those who are close to them. So that's the ultimate characteristic of evil, of selfishness, of self-centeredness, of self-absorption. When a person thinks that everything I have, I deserve. Why should I give the other person? It's a free country. He can go and earn his own money. Why should I share? Versus holiness. God doesn't owe me a thing. I know that person is more worthy than I am. Why, why was I blessed? Why was I fortunate? Why did God smile at me? So I have to, in turn, also share my wealth, my bounty, and whatever form it takes. A person could be wealthy in spirit, a person could be wealthy in knowledge, a person could be wealthy with experience. Whatever form it takes, ideas to share and to give, and, and not just to take, but to give. That's the characteristic of holiness. And the holier a person is, the more giving they are. The closer a person is to God, the more giving they are. The more distant a person is from God and from godliness and from holiness, the more selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed, the more they take and the less they give. So much so until you have the mosquito that gives nothing. Takes everything and gives nothing. Zilch. Zero. And yet, the Jew who sins is even on a lower level than even the mosquito. Any sin, major, minor, biblical, or it makes no difference. Continue. For holiness implies humility which leads to kindness and to benevolence, while kelipa represents egocentricity and selfishness. Now even the very lowest kelipa, symbolized by the gnat, 
takes precedence over the sinner in the order of descent of the divine life force from the divine will. This means that the kelipa, symbolized by the gnat, derives its life force from a higher level of godliness than that from which the sinner is sustained. And surely the other unclean creatures and even the ferocious beasts are higher than the sinner. All of these do not deviate from their divinely intended purpose, but obey God's command. Although they cannot perceive it, for the animal cannot perceive God's command, yet their spirit perceives it. That is, the life force animating them, which is aware of the divine will, does not permit them to act in violation of it. The animal, even the wild animal, even the predatory beast, after all, he's just living up to his nature. God created him that way. It's not his choice. It's not that he has his choice. He's just following his nature, his instinct. He's an animal, a creature of instinct. And that's how God created him. So even the animal, the predatory animal, cannot disobey God. And his spirit senses the will of God. As he's going to say, the wild animal will respect the holy person, will sense the presence of a holy person. And he won't attack him. And he won't act because he senses the will of God. He senses this person is holy. And therefore he won't, even though naturally he's a wild animal, he'll behave himself. The animal will even go against his nature if he senses that this is the will of God. Like he's going to bring the example of Daniel and the lion's den. They were hungry, they were starving, and they threw them at Daniel. By nature, they should have devoured him. But they sensed, they looked at his face, and they sensed there's holiness in his eye, in his face, and they sensed that God doesn't want them to devour them. So, notwithstanding their nature, they were afraid to touch him, and they didn't touch him, and they went hungry. He's a holy person, he lived a holy life. Therefore, they, notwithstanding their nature, their wild nature, they refrained from harming him. As it is written, the fear and dread of you shall lie upon every beast of the earth, and as our sages explain, a wild beast will never defy a human being unless he appears to it like an animal. The Talmud says that a, an animal is afraid of even a child, a living being. An animal is afraid of even, even a living being. Even a lion, when they see a living being, a baby, there's a certain fear. While a dead king, even a mouse is not afraid. When the person is dead, they're not afraid. When a person is alive, there's a fear that God placed in animals. God only gave permission to animals to be predatory on other animals. So when a person acts like an animal and behaves like an animal and just follows every urge and every instinct, then he looks at you like another animal. <laughs> you're, you're, you're his peer, so then you're prey. Then the predatory animal will, could and will attack him. But if, however, your whole life is all about being connected with God, being one with God, and unifying God by fulfilling all the 613 mitzvahs, then the animal is afraid of you. And they have a sense. They have a sense. They just sense a presence. And they're afraid. They won't, they won't start up with you. They would not give him permission to start up with, with man, who's created the image of God. They're only allowed to devour one of them, their own. So when a person behaves like an animal, lives like an animal, then the image of God on the forehead is distorted. They can't see it. It's erased or it's hidden. It's covered up. So to them, you're just another animal. So you're game. You fear game. A person who lives, who lives a righteous life internally, 
privately. Between him and Hashem, the animal consents it. The animal, you can't deceive the animals. <laughs> the animals know the truth. If you're living a godly life, they're afraid of you. They won't start off with you. So even an animal, even the worst animal, even the most predatory animal, which is the antithesis of holiness and godliness, would not dare violate God's will. God says in the Torah, God told the animals in the Torah that you're only allowed to eat each other, but not, not, a, not a human being. The fear of a human being will be in you. And to them, that's, that's inviolate. They can't trespass that. They can't transgress it. God said, and that's the way it is. And that's natural. How can you go against the will of God? Your creator, who creates you, sustains you. It's impossible. How can you go against the will of God? Even the mosquito can't go against the will of God. As miserable as a creature as he is, he can't go against the will of God. And here we go ahead and we go against the will of God. And we're violating, trespassing a minor mitzvah, a major mitzvah, what difference? A biblical mitzvah, a rabbinic mitzvah, what difference does it make? A custom, a Jewish custom. So this is the worst form of idolatry. And not only is the worst form of idolatry, in a, in a spiritual level, we are in a lower level. We're the lowest. That's why we created the last. It's one extreme or the other. There's no neutral ground when it comes to a human being. Either you're creating the image of God and you're superior to the angel, or the other extreme, you're worse than the most wildest predatory animal and you're worse than the mosquito. That's what we think conventionally. Oh, if someone is a Hitler, thou shalt not murder. If someone blows himself up, he's the worst animal in the world. But I just, I just did something minor. It was a minor thing. God wanted me to do it, and I didn't do it. But God told me, don't do it, and I did it anyway. It's just a minor thing. It's just rabbinic. It's, it's inconsequential. It's insignificant. That's part of the insanity. To make this distinction is also part of the insanity. What difference does it make? The question is, how is it possible to go against the will of God? Could the body go against the soul? Did you ever see a, uh, the hand fighting? I want to move my hand, and the hand says, no, I don't want to move. It's unnatural. It makes no sense. It's a total disconnect of reality. It's like we're living in la-la land. It's like we're totally forgetting. Not only are we forgetting that God is our soul, we're forgetting that God is our very being. There's nothing else. And we're creating this, this, this totally illusory. That's why he says any sin. It's a moment of insanity. It makes no sense. But we don't have the clarity. We, sleep through, we, we sleepwalk through life. It's a total disconnect. It's, 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 it's insanity. It's like a dream. In a dream state, you can, have, you can have full of nonsense. You can dream contradictions and nonsense. And that characterizes most of, most of, most, most of our lives. The Torah is an awakening. Awaken to reality. Why is it then so difficult to get that, achieve that clarity? When you're sleeping, it's very, it's very sweet. It's very comfortable. You're under the cover. You don't want to get up. Of course, once, once you wake yourself up, a moment of reality is, is, is more pleasurable than all the dreams in the world. In your dream, you could be a senator, and you could be a billionaire, and you, but it's a dream. It's illusory. It's meaningless. And when you, one moment of reality is worth more, it's more precious. A moment that you're connected, a moment of Torah, a one mitzvah, a one selfless good deed, an act of goodness and kindness is worth more than all the billions in the world. But when you're caught up in the dream, money, power, fame, you know, status, 
external, superficial ego, you get so caught up that you, you, we, we, we forget. And it's very distracting, it's very tempting. It's very dazzling. It's like, it's like drunk food, it's very seductive. But that's all it is, it's drunk food and drunk lifestyle. There's nothing there, there's no substance, there's no reality. That's why it's called clipper, shell. People imagine munching on a shell. <laughs> you'll, you'll be very hungry, it's very unsatisfying. It'll give you a stomachache, make you sick, and there's nothing nutritious and there's nothing real there. There's no substance. But the moment you wake up, the Torah is there, wake up. Be real. And one moment of reality is worth more than all the, all the illusory dreams in the world. But you have to wake yourself up. Even God can't do that for you. He, sometimes He gives us an alarm clock. He, <laughs> like waking the dead, you know, alarm clock. And even that we don't hear. But ideally, we should wake ourselves up. It's much more pleasant when we wake ourselves up than when God wakes us up. Let's say you think you're going to commit a sin and you don't do it. I don't mean you get credit for that, but is that as heavy an, an ideal uh, than, as compared to uh, someone threatening your life, but you keep your Judaism even if you die? Whereas in the other thing, you're just not committing adultery. Yes. That's, that's, that, is, that is the equivalent because sometimes it's more difficult to live for God than it is to die for God. You know, die is a one-time thing. It's a heroic moment. But to live on a daily basis and to make the right choices based on that truth, that every time you're tempted, how does a person fulfill the 365 prohibitions? It's not when you don't have the opportunity to steal. You know, a thief that doesn't have the opportunity to steal thinks he's honest. <laughs> That's not called honesty. Honesty means when you're tempted to steal. You could get away with it, and you don't, because it says in the Torah, thou shalt not steal, because God says it's wrong. I can get away with it. I'm hip, I'm smart, I'm clever, I can cut corners, I can do whatever I want. And lightning is not going to strike. But I'm not going to do it. No one isn't even going to know it. But I'm not going to do it because Hashem said no. Hashem says no is no, Period. End of discussion. No ifs, maybes, buts, what, when, when. That's fulfilling. And the only reason you're doing it is only because Hashem said no. That is the equivalent of not bowing down to the idol. That's what he's, that's what he's telling us here. Exactly your point. That every time you've, you overcome a negative prohibition, you're fulfilling the mitzvah of thou shalt not worship idols. It's the same thing. And it's the same motivation. You don't want to be disconnected from God. By doing this minor sin, you're disconnecting yourself from God. You're disconnecting yourself from reality, from your reality. You, you, you're cutting off the very branch that you're sitting on. God is our being. God is creating. There's nothing else. So how can I, instead of being a tool and an implement for God's will and, and unifying God, instead I'm becoming a tool for, for the idol, the exact opposite of God. It makes no sense. It's a moment of insanity. It's only because we don't realize what we're doing. You can delude yourself. Okay, so I'm sinning. Ah, listen, who's perfect? No human being is perfect. So we all compromise a little. How interesting. When it comes to our health, no one says it. When was the last time you heard anyone say, <laughs> doctor, why should I go to a doctor? Everyone I know is sick. Everyone has his aches and pains. and Nobody knows perfect. So uh, you have to compromise in life. No, nothing in life is perfect. When was the last time you heard, you heard anyone say that? Logically, it makes sense. But yet, every human being will, will fight, will undergo the most painful procedures, will bankrupt themselves. 
Are you kidding? I don't compromise on one iota of my health. It's not enough. My heart is healthy. I want every, every toenail of mine to be healthy. Suddenly, when it comes to our spiritual life, so, well, nobody's perfect. Got to be realistic. Let's compromise here. Let's cut off an arm here. Let's cut off a leg there. Let's cut off. You can't. You have to be realistic. We're living in a world. To be an adult means to compromise. To be mature means to compromise. And it's insanity. If you hear what you're saying, it's pure insanity. It makes no sense. It's totally illogical. It's irrational. That's a dream state. Not in the positive sense of a dream state. It means we're sleepwalking through life. We don't make a connection. It's like, it's like a total disconnect. I want to be healthy, and yet 90% of the people, 90% of the time, actively lead unhealthy lives. It's a total disconnect. It's like, it's like a la-la land. That's how most people live their lives, a la-la land. That's the human condition. That's the challenge. And the first thing a Jew does in the morning is, you wake up. <laughs> because you can't say modani before you wake up. It's all about waking up. And waking yourself up. We have freedom of choice. God can do that for you. You have to wake yourself up. And when you wake up, and you smell the coffee, one moment of reality is worth more than all the delusions and all the illusions and all the... And that's when you start living. So every mitzvah is an opportunity to wake up, to connect, to be real. Live in the moment. We live in a day and age where everyone is living for the moment. 24-7, constant entertainment, 500 channels with nothing to watch. Constant distraction. Constant escapism. What is the whole essence of Judaism? The exact opposite. Live in the moment. Every moment is real. Every moment becomes an eternal moment, a moment that's connected to all previous moments. Even I'm thirsty, I have a need, a natural need, I have to drink to survive. No, no, no. Make a bracha. Realize what you're doing. Think of Hashem. Think of the miracle. You think the splitting of the sea is a miracle. The fact that there's a cup of water is a is more impressive miracle than the splitting of the sea. The fact that there is a water. Period. And you realize, and suddenly this moment, this simple act of taking a drink of water, because naturally I need water to survive, suddenly becomes an eternal moment. An opportunity to connect to eternity. A moment that's connected to all previous moments, and that moment is connected to all future moments. The Torah teaches us every moment to live in the moment, to be real. Each and every moment, every opportunity, every season. To constantly be in the moment, be present. Instead of versus the constant distractions, constant, constant vacations of reality, from reality. Constant dreamland, Disney World. The Torah says be real. So it's an opportunity. The ability to lead a real life, a genuine life, an authentic life. To be real each and every moment, grounded and connected. This is natural. This is reality. It's the dream state which is so unnatural. To be disconnected and unplugged and live in some la-la land, it's insanity. So what we call normal is hardly normal. It's pure insanity. To live like the Joneses? Is that a reason? Is, I'm going to allow my neighbor to dictate how I'm, how I'm going to live? What's politically correct? What's popular, not popular? Instead of being true to your conscience, being true to yourself, being true to what's real, to the Torah, to that lighthouse, I'm going to change course. The Torah is the lighthouse. The Torah doesn't change. One iota, one letter. The whole world will change around the Torah or else the Torah is unbudgeable. This is reality. So 
this changes your perspective. That's why we're learning the Tanya. When you learn the Tanya and you realize it's, it's all education, it's awareness. Without awareness, you wouldn't even stop to think. You know, we just accept things very superficially. There's a big distinction between murder and between the minor thing. But when you open your eyes and you open your mind and you realize there is no difference. What difference is there? It makes no sense. It's insanity. And if I'm ready to give up my life rather than, rather than bow down to an idol, and every time I sin it's the equivalent of idolatry, then surely I can make that little sacrifice. I can give up that momentary pleasure. I'm going to give up my connection to God for this momentary pleasure? When that's the center of my being and that's the most important thing in my life in the moment of truth, I know this is the most important thing in my life. I'll give all of that away. I'll throw that away. Throw this beautiful relationship. Throw all of that away for what? So the, the more you realize it, the easier it becomes to be able to overcome the temptations and the distractions and to keep focused, to keep, be connected, to wake up. And that's more enjoyable and more pleasurable than all the dreams in the world. Reality far surpasses any illusory reality. Okay, continue. In fact, when confronting Tzadikim, from whose face the divine image never departs, the evil beasts are humbled before them, as is stated in the Zohar concerning Daniel in the lion's den. Not only did the lions not harm him, but on the contrary, they humbled themselves before him. At any rate, what emerges from the above is that even the animals do not violate God's will. Firstly, they can't transgress God's wish not to harm a human being, even a lion would be, a, you know, wouldn't just approach a, a living human being, even a baby. And how much more so that uh, they would even go against their nature. Not only won't they harm, but if they sense the presence of God, they actually, they actually will help the tzaddik, just to fulfill the will, the will, the wish of Hashem to honor this person, to respect this person. Versus the person who sins, who transgresses, who violates Hashem's will, even a minor sin. Continue. It is thus clear that he who sins and transgresses against God's will, even in a minor offense, is, at the time he commits it, completely removed from the divine holiness, meaning God's unity and oneness, even more so than all the unclean creatures, the vermin and the reptiles, which derive their sustenance from the Sitra Akhra and the Kelipa of Avodazara. All the aforesaid demonstrates how one's hidden love for God can enable him to overcome his desire to transgress any sin. When he considers that thereby he becomes separated from God, even more than the unclean creatures, he will recoil from every sin just as he recoils from the thought of idolatry, because of his awareness that it represents an attack on his love of God and his faith in Him. So this explains why the Torah says, Moshe is telling us that for us to fulfill all 613 mitzvahs, fulfill the entire Shulchan Aruch, the entire code of Jewish law, is something that's relevant and dear and near to each and every one of us. And not only to fulfill it begrudgingly, but to fulfill it with our hearts, wholeheartedly, willingly, lovingly. This is something that's very near and dear to us. And after Rebbe posed the question, how can you say it's very near and dear to us? We all know how difficult it is. And he's speaking to every, every one of us. And the answer is because since each and every Jew have a Jewish soul, 
that soul that's ready to sacrifice itself, ready to sacrifice your life, make the ultimate sacrifice rather than worship idols. That only explains how we're going to fulfill the mitzvah of thou shalt not worship idols. But Moshe is talking about the entire package, all 630 mitzvahs, every letter and every paragraph in the code of Jewish law. How can you say that it's near and near for each and every one of us to fulfill the entire book and the entire, all the mitzvahs? And the answer is because every time you do a mitzvah, you're really fulfilling the mitzvah of believing in God and unifying God. And every time you do a sin, it's the equivalent of idolatry. So therefore, if you're ready to give up your life, not to worship idols, surely you have to be ready to give up your life, not to transgress the most minutest, the most minor, seemingly most minor transgression. Once you realize this is against the will of God, so then it's not like paying income taxes. You know, you just do your bare minimum and... And then you cut every corner you can, and you know it's it's um, if it's something minor or major. But once you realize that this is the will of God, this is what God wants, then that is holy to you, because that is what my life is all about. So then it's not just something I must do; I have to do. It's a commandment. If not, lightning is going to strike. It's something I want to do, because that's my being. That's what reality is. There is no other reality. That is what life is all about. That is life. So therefore you want to do it. And vice versa. You don't want to violate a prohibition. You don't want to tr- trespass or transgress. Because that is death. Why is a Jew ready to give up his life? It's not about dying. We love life. Jews celebrate life. We love life. Life is holy to us. Because doing the sin, worshipping the idol, that is death to us. Being connected to God, that is reality. Being unplugged, disconnected, that is death to us. That's not an option. It's like taking a recess for life for one moment. It's simply not an option. Any sin is taking a recess from life for one moment. When you're so plugged in and you're so connected and you realize that this is reality and this is something you want to do with every fiber of your being and every bone in your body, then vice versa. You don't want to be disconnected from God, even for a split second, even for a moment, by doing a minor sin, a a rabbinic sin, a a violated Jewish custom. What difference does it make? Every letter in in the code of Jewish law is our lighthouse. It's unbudgeable. And that has been the bedrock of the Jewish people for 3,800 years. Every single Jew that's alive today, every single one without fail. You go back three generations, at most four generations, you'll find a Jew who was observant. Everyone has pictures of a great-grandfather with a beard. And, and, and that Jew, our great-grandparents, survived for 3,800 years without interruption. Because all those Jews who lost the path and started playing with the Torah historically you can research it any Jew who disconnected himself from the Torah who started compromising and cutting and whether it's the rabbinic tradition or the biblical tradition three, four generations was all over disappeared without a trace every single Jew that's alive today 14 million Jews without exception without a single exception every single one of them because our grandparents, great-grandparents, for 3,800 years without a single interruption, have faithfully and loyally, through thick and thin, fire and water, kept the Torah in the midst of them. Passionately. 99% of the world came down to them like a ton of bricks, opposed them. Yet, they were unwavering, firm in their commitment. Our connection to God, this is our life. Our relationship to God, this is our life. This is our life. This is our marriage. This is what we live for. This this is reality to us. On the inside, internally, our home, what we have in the home, we have our relationship with God. 
were unbudgeable, unyielding, the stiff-necked people. Just like you don't take a, a moment's break from life, life is 24-7. Doesn't, it's not interrupted for one split second. Our connection to God is life. And it's not interrupted for one split second. And just like when you bow down to the idol, you know and you realize that that's an interruption. That's taking a recess from life for a moment and then it's all over. You can't take a recess from life. Sinning, violating a transgression, one of the 365 don'ts or any of the rabbinic transgressions, it's the equivalent. It's the equivalent of bowing down to the idol. It's taking a recess from life. And we just want to be 100% without compromise. Now, of course, we're human. And inevitably we fail and we stumble. And there are moments of crimes of passion. And there are moments of insanity. But as long as you acknowledge it's a moment of insanity, don't try to rationalize. Don't try to sanctify the compromise. Don't try to excuse and change the rules because you want to appease your own conscience. That's dishonest. It's intellectually dishonest. And it cuts off even the possibility of finding your way back. If a person is hard as healthy and his organs are sick and he'll delude himself and he'll say, everything is fine, then you don't even have a chance to regain your health. Because you're so distorted, you're so deluded, that you don't even realize what's going on. But if you're honest with yourself and you realize that when it comes to our health, we refuse to compromise even one iota. We want to be 100%. And the same is true with our spiritual health, with our Jewish health. We want to be 100% Jewish. Not 99.9%. 100%. Because the truth is that we are 100% connected. As we're going to learn next week. We are 100% connected. Whether we're aware of it or not, the reality is, the fact is, that a Jew is a Jew is a Jew. Every Jew is 100% connected. There are no reform, there are no conservatives, no orthodox, no atheists, no communists. A Jew is not 99% Jewish. A Jew, every Jew is 100% Jewish. So in fact, we are 100% connected. And therefore, you want to live up to that. You want to live it. And uh, the more you learn, the more you're aware, it's something you look forward to, you eagerly look forward to. It's not a burden. It's not nebach, uh, oi, I have to do this and I have to do that. You don't feel, it's not an obligation, a burden, it's something you joyously you want to do. It's life. You want to be alive, you want to be real. You want to, you want to wake up, you want to be connected. And we keep on growing. It's very difficult for anyone to be 100%. But you keep on growing. It's something that's real, it's organic. Anything else that's organic is alive, you grow in your Jewishness. You don't label yourself, you don't limit yourself. You don't, it's not satisfied, this is enough for me, I don't want to do more. But like anything else that's truly alive, it grows, it flourishes. It's constant growth, it's fruitful, it's, it's, it's constant growth, constant movement and change. So as long as we're honest, and as long as we're aware, the more we are aware, the more we can appreciate our Jewishness, the more we can live up to our Jewishness, the more we can celebrate and cherish it, and the richer, it enriches our life, it enhances our life, it amplifies all the good things that are going on inside of us the more connected we are, the more plugged in we are. Every time you do a mitzvah, you're plugging in. It's like a charger, a battery recharge. Every time you give tzedakah, it's a battery recharge. 
Every time you pray, you're connecting with God. Your batteries are being recharged. And when you, f- you look at it that way, then you look forward to it. You feel, you feel recharged, you feel energized. You feel rejuvenated, pun intended. You feel, you feel connected and uh, alive. You feel alive and vibrant. And your life has meaning and purpose and you feel alive. I guess we continue to grow. It's like throwing kerosene on the flame. The more, the more, it doesn't satisfy. The more, the more kerosene, it just it keeps on, the flame keeps on growing. The appetite keeps on growing. The more mitzvot you do, mitzvot are very addictive. And there's no cure for this addiction. There's no mitzvah anonymous. <laughs> Every mitzvah you do, the more connected you are, the more alive you feel. It touches you in such a deep place, it just whets your appetite. Now I want to do two mitzvot. You do two, and you want to do four. You study a, a, two, a half hour of, of Torah, suddenly you want to study an hour of Torah. It, it's never ending. From the greatest, from the greatest Jew to the smallest, it, it's never ending. It's infinite. God is infinite, goodness is infinite, Judaism is infinite. And once Judaism becomes a joyful part of your life, and you enjoy it and love it, luxuriate in it, then, then it's, it's, it's beautiful. Then the Jew flourishes. Then the true, the Jew within the Jew, the neshama, emerges. And then you see it, it's palpable, and you can tap into it. All that wealth, all that richness is there to be used, not to be remain stored and treasured behind locked doors. Every Jew has it. But if you can't access it, and you can't tap into it, then you're a billionaire, but, but you're walking around in tatters, homeless, starving to death, because you don't know how to write a withdrawal slip. The money is in the bank. It's all yours. Every Jew inherits the entire Torah. It's all yours. 100% of it. You're 100% connected. But the more you appreciate it, you can tap into all that riches. And suddenly your life is it's a beautiful beautiful life and it's a real life.